Hey, Zell, how's it going? I haven't seen you since May. Katie, it's the weirdest thing. I had this dream, a nightmare, really. What do you mean? There was this man. He was dressed all in black, and he had all this money, and he kept buying up all of the raves. And I got sucked in. It was like he was Darth Vader, and... And you were on the Death Star? Yes, Katie. It was so scary. Zell, that wasn't a dream. What do you mean? That was real. We were all there. Wait, then... Why does it feel like I've been in a blackout since May? I don't know, but you should really get out of that Luke Skywalker outfit. Okay, let's start the show! Welcome to the very first Don't Kill the Vibe podcast. I'm Katie Bain. And I'm Zell McCarthy, and we're here to talk about what's new, what's good, and what's not so good in the wide world of dance music and beyond. Joining us today is Crystal Rodriguez, an amazing writer and all-around dance music expert. Say hi, Crystal. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here, K-Rod. On this week's episode, Zell is going behind the scenes at the Grammys to find out what the hell they're doing at this time of year. Plus, we have journalists, festival professionals, and dance world odd couple at large, Jamal Kawaja and Ross Gardner, in the studio to talk about avoiding burnout during the packed fall festival season and the recent closure of legendary London Club Fabric. And we're also going to talk about the latest and greatest in music and events. So let's do this. Let's do it. Big story that's come out in the past week are these rumors about Spotify supposedly buying SoundCloud. Originally, the Financial Times had reported this in the last week of September, and they said that there were, quote, advanced talks happening. Fast Company jumped on it, and they were saying why Spotify should totally buy SoundCloud. NextWeb was saying why Spotify buying SoundCloud would be the best thing ever. There's not a lot of meat on this rumor, but everyone's so excited about it. I'm not entirely sure why. Well, Zell, you have some pretty strong opinions about why it's not going to happen, right? Not just opinions, Katie. I have some sources from Silicon Valley that have told me that this is completely never going to happen. Okay, that, tell us. Well, there's, there's no value in either company. Both companies are operating at a loss. They are not profitable. Their shareholders aren't taking anything out of it yet. So for one not profitable company to buy another makes very little sense. In the sense that Spotify doesn't actually have any money to buy SoundCloud? They have some capital, and SoundCloud's looking for some more capital, but neither are are generating an income at this point. Right. So that would make it tricky. It, would, it seems unlikely. But what is the allure of SoundCloud's for Spotify? I think the allure is probably in the conversation that, like the one we're having now. <laughs> right. There's, I mean, there's a huge audience on SoundCloud that's different from the one on Spotify. I could see people being excited about the fact that, like, you know, unsigned and independent artists are now in the same space as, you know, major recording stars who rely on Spotify to to get their music out there. But I, I will get so the Next Web in their coverage said, and I'm quoting here: "Both companies aren't doing well. Spotify's revenue is higher than ever, but it's still losing money." SoundCloud is doing even worse and has been publicly asking for a capital injection. Two companies with a lack of cash but a big common interest, what would happen when you put them together? Hmm. I think nothing. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Time will tell. Yeah, I just I think it's funny that every uh, every blog, every site loves to jump on a Spotify or SoundCloud rumor whenever they pop up. Well, and this one was labeled imminent, right? Yeah, I mean, and you know, when it comes to weight, you don't get heavier than Financial Times. Sure. So. <laughs> okay. Okay. What but do we got next? I think we'll yeah we'll put a pin in that one. I don't know if you guys saw Skrillex did a huge feature with Complex. Uh, it's in conjunction with his appearance at the Complex Con, which is a two-day event happening in Long Beach, California at the beginning of November. There were some choice quotes in there. There were a few choice quotes, mostly concerning, well, I think the ones that were the juiciest concerned his relationship with Dead Mouse and his thoughts on Dead Mouse's forward-facing persona. Forward-facing. Yeah. That's a good way to describe Dead Mouse. This is what... So this is what uh, Sonny, we can call him that, right? Oh, you mean Sonny? Sonny. Yeah. Sonny Moore. This is what he said about Dead Mouse. The only time I really got upset with him was when he started taking stabs at Marshmallow, acting like such a fucking bully. Marshmallow is this young kid who looks up to Dead Mouse, and the first tweet he gets from Dead Mouse is talking shit about him. That's when I had to stand up and be like, stop being a fucking bully. Well, that would suck. <laughs> Crystal, you're kind of a Marshmallow expert. Who's Marshmallow? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But can you illuminate us a little bit on who Marshmallow is and how he's sort of come up in a big way in the last, what, year? Yeah, I mean, well, he had a huge performance um, last year at Heart Day of, uh, Day of the Dead, and he's anonymous, which has been a huge part of his persona. You know, a lot of articles and a lot of people have been trying to figure out who he is, actively stalking his social media for any clue whatsoever. Um, and, you know, he's he's done um, pretty big remixes for people like Jack Yu. And, um, and yeah, I mean, he's 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 really just had a big rise to stardom, and, and he tweeted Dead Mouse, and Dead Mouse just, you know, wasn't having it. It's just a regular day in the life of Dead Mouse. Did that, do you think that actually hurt Marshmallow to have Dead Mouse say something negative, or was it kind of like a badge of honor? Well, who hasn't Dead Mouse attacked? Yeah. Besides the people on his label, right? See, that's pretty true. Uh, yeah. He, so apparently, according to Skrillex, in this article, uh, Dead Mouse is a nicer person in the DMs. I thought that part was really interesting. Can you read us that quote? Yeah, when he said, so... <laughs> This is what Skrillex said. He DM'd me afterwards and was like, if you ever need anybody to talk, if you need a friend, I'm here. Like, what? Yeah. Like, what does that mean? I don't know, but, and so Skrillex said he's he's more sensitive in the DMs, but when it comes to his public image, I don't know. Maybe it's because his music hasn't been as ambitious. Ooh. I think he may be scared to really step outside of what he does, but when someone else tries to do something new and they're successful at it, and then Sonny says, I've put plenty of other records out that aren't as successful, but he doesn't talk about those. He only talks about the things that are popping off. And that's referencing the Bieber record that Skrillex and Diplo did. And that was kind of what set Dead Mouse off in the first place. Sure. Does, yeah. I've heard Diplo is also more sensitive in the DMs. Oh, Katie. Sorry. <laughs> Maybe off the air for that. Okay, next time. Does anyone give a shit about any of this? Do Marshmallow's fans care? Crystal, do you know? Is this, like, a thing? I'm not sure, but the blogs sure care. Right. Blogs. And I think the blogs, I mean, it gets clicks, right? People people talk about these stories. We're talking about it right now. But it's just another day in the life of Dead Mouse, And ultimately, it's good promo for him. Like, being an asshole is his brand, and it's working. 
And what's Skrillex's brand now? Being the moral authority? Is that harsh? No, I don't think it's harsh. I, I think mean, it's, I th- yeah. I think Skrillex did what any label manager would have to do for a young artist on their label. Stand up and say you're an, you're a bully. Yeah, which is true. <laughs> uh, speaking of DJs who may or may not have very large egos, uh, Steve Aoki's been on a publicity blitz. Sure, he's no stranger to this time of year. We'll talk a little bit about this time, what this time of year means later when we get to the, our Grammys conversation. But uh, he's been promoting his documentary. Um, and he also appeared on Charlie Rose, who apparently has, I guess, like some production assistant or intern who really likes EDM because they, they, the big guys seem to go through there. Like it's, it's Charlie has taken up an interest for sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, he had Jackie on yeah. when they were in Cuba and before that. So yeah. Have you seen the Steve Aoki documentary? I have not. Okay. Me neither. Crystal? I have not. Yeah. So yeah. I guess so we can't. We no no one in this room has seen it, but um, you know what, guys? I think if you finish the Amanda Knox documentary and you've run through Stranger Things, give "I'll Sleep When I'm Dead" a whirl. Here's something interesting, actually. My mom told me that her friend watched it, and her friend <laughs> is not a dance music fan and lives in Wisconsin, like rural Wisconsin, and she thought it was very interesting. So maybe it's not for the hardcore fans, but for people that he's trying to reach since, you know, we already obviously know so much about him. I think that it, I shout out, first of all, shout out your mom in Wisconsin. The only reason why I knew that Aoki was on Charlie Rose is because my dad saw it. So I feel like all this stuff is really not targeted for us, but for our parents, maybe. And I think that's the point, right? Like they're growing their fan base. Yeah. So, <laughs> so. you know, good job, Steve. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about what he said to to Charlie Rose because Charlie asked him, how did you change EDM? Which I think that the answer could have gone in a lot of really wrong ways. And Well, you can tell me what you think. He said, I was definitely part of a group of people that brought a level of entertainment to the show. As far as the live show, I brought a level of entertainment that might not have been there before. As far as the production side of things, which is why people come to the show in the first place, you have to have the music to draw people there. My goal is always to work outside my world. I prefer working with hip-hop artists, with country artists, with singers who have not worked in this space. I want to find new ways to reinvent this sound and not be so pigeonholed. Well, I think that actually seems true to form, knowing what we know about Steve and how he started playing such small clubs and parties in L.A. and sort of transition out of that, it seemed like, as fast as he could. Like, you used to, you used to go see him in Hollywood at tiny bars, Can right? He, Yes. But I mean, you know, but the, I think what he's the only thing I disagree with in what he said there is that you have to have the music to draw people there. Because when I would see him at notably this one place called, well, there were a few places, but LAX was a club that he would play at. Another one was Forbidden City, which is uh, right on Vine near Hollywood Boulevard. You, it, I forget what it is now. It's across from what is now Avalon. Um but it, no one was going because of Steve Aoki originals. They were going because he, of the, the show, of the entertainment that he brought, even at that point before he was caking anyone, it was a party, and he was a great party DJ. Right, and therein kind of lies an irony, right? Because I feel like he gets attacked a lot for being uh, mainstream or a sellout, what have you, but he's 
kind of doing the same thing that he's always been doing. Totally. And and he is a really hard worker. His team is really hard working. They you can't knock them for what they've earned for themselves. One hundred percent. Yeah. But I guess his his core fans aren't the ones watching him on Charlie Rose or apparently on his documentary on Netflix. No. No. Maybe we'll watch it this week and let you know. It's gotten it's gotten good reviews. I don't want it to sound like we're hating on it. Not at all. It's, Not at all. It's uh it's been well received. Totally. Also well received. Nico Jar's album. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I I gave it a few listens and the initial reviews that I heard of it before I heard it were that he had uh, that he was trying too hard, that he was reaching too far, um, and that he had sort of uh, what is that expression? Jumped the shark. Mm. Yeah. And then I listened to it and I loved it. And you know I am a long-standing Nicholas Jar fan. And it's certainly not, uh, it's not that similar to Space's Only Noise, which is his debut album from 2000, 2011. But uh, I think there's a lot of interesting moments in it. It's not a dance album, but it's a beautifully composed electronic album. Have you listened to it, Crystal? I haven't, but uh, having listened to his Nymphs EPs and his previous work, I, I'm quite excited to. Yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 he's not giving the people what they want. Um, He's giving the people what he wants the people to have. But you guys are both fans. What would you have wanted from him other than this album? Mm, I think in past experiences in a live setting, and uh, you know the guests that we're having later in the show can speak to this as well, he doesn't really give you a beat uh, a lot of the time. He kind of makes it more challenging than maybe you would like. It's not a satisfying set, and this isn't necessarily a totally satisfying album in the way that it satiates that, you know, urge to dance or whatever but it's it's more contemplative than that and it's textured and layered and um yeah it's not as straightforward there's no bangers on this album there's no like radio hits is it is it too because i've based on what you said before about the the pre-release reviews and kind of what he said in this pitchfork interview that came out in the last week Mm -hmm. it sounds like maybe he was over intellectualizing does it sound like that when you're listening to the album? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Can I oh, let me let me read to you what he told Pitchfork? Sure. He said, "This is a quote. It's hard for me to not make a record about America right now. I feel a, an affinity with the political aspect of dance music. Maybe it can increasingly become a place of protest." Yeah. And then later in that interview, he also told the story about a small class he was teaching at some college recently. And he had all of the students make a track and then he layered all of them on top of each other in what he believed was a political statement. Like he's <laughs> he's going for it. And I I appreciate that, even if it doesn't necessarily translate. I think I I've always thought that, like, uh, I should enjoy Nico Jar's music more than I necessarily do. Is there, from Crystal or Katie, is there a reason why someone should listen to it that you can just explain? Well, yeah, I think the early stuff, the first album is great. Um, all of his work with Dark Side, amazing. And I think much more accessible. Um, this album feels like it's a bit more of homework than... Or just something you want to listen to at home when you're mellowing out, you know? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But it's worth a listen. 
give it a shot and then give it a second shot because it is challenging, but it gets better each time. I, I'm curious as to what, like, if this is a trend now where people want to, to see, as Nico Jar says, that dance music is a place of protest, where does that go? Because, you know, ultimately, if it's dance music, it's going to be listened to in a club on a dance floor. That's not a place where you're resisting anything. It's actually an isolated part of the world where you can do whatever you want already. So what are you protesting? Hmm. Something we can think about. <laughs> Thank you. All right, Crystal, thanks for joining us. We'll be back in a second. I'm a monster. Two illustrious gentlemen, Ross Gardner and Jamal Kawaja. Legends. <laughs> hello, hello, hello. Thanks, thanks for, being for here, well, guys. thanks for having us, guys. Thank you. Pleasure. Delighted. Yeah. So, um, Jamal, you told me a while ago that your formative experiences in nightclubs happened at Fabric in London. You were a younger man at the time, probably a more innocent man. Um, <laughs> this, is, this is where you went to. Uh, to to form yourself as a as a music fan. Well, I didn't know where I was going actually. I was at uh, just starting grad school in London, and I just sort of stumbled into sort of. I think I had responded to a post on Facebook of somebody saying, "I'm I'm new to England. Do you want to be friends?" And I sort of I met what? this kid. His name was Liam, and and a few weeks later we went to Fabric, and I, I was not into nightclubs at all. I was into prog rock, you know. And I sort of went down to, into the, the labyrinthian darkness of Fabric. Took some strange substances that somebody gave me, and I, my whole life changed that one night. I don't think I would definitely would not be here were it not for that nightclub. Do you remember who was playing that first night? No, I, no, I don't. It was probably lots of very obnoxious in your face, jump up, drum and bass. Um, that I w- would want nothing to do with at this point. But back then, it totally blew my mind. And I loved it. Yeah. And how many? How often were you going once <coughs> after that first time? Uh, at least once a month. But there were other clubs that we were going to a lot. I pretty much dove deeply into the world of. Uh, sort of UK-based music around the time. And what is special about Fabric? Because I've been there, uh, you know, a, num- a number of times over the years. But for Londoners in particular, it holds a special place. What is it that that makes it what it is? Well, it's a spiritual home of, of for bass music in particular. Um, it's just uh, I don't know. It's been around for a long time. It's, it's part of the furniture. It's 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 where this music gets its before it hits the world. It sort of has its formative process in 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 the recesses of Fabric. Um, it's, I think what's, what's going on at the moment there is really unfortunate, but it's indicative of a lot of stuff that's going on around the world. Let's talk about what's going on in there at the moment. Um, it's basically they've they've been shuttered by the city. Is it? Yeah, yeah. The Islington Council has decided to shut them down. Like they, so they've had about well, I think it's like six drug deaths over the last like two years, I believe, four in the last like year or so. And, yeah, I mean, basically it just seems like the writing might be on the wall for them. But at the same time, like, the the big argument that's going on in the club land right now is that Fabric is an extremely well-run establishment in terms of how much they actually police and protect the the clubbers that are coming in. But the problem is it seems like 
that they've been victimised and sort of an example is being made out of them. But there's also a lot of people that think there's a little foul play going on there as well and that there's uh, real estate projects yeah, I think that are happening around them. And I, I think that's probably a Meaning big part that there are people who want to build yeah. buildings in the space where fabric exists. And yeah. so they're using the drug issues as a pretense to yeah, close absolutely, them. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, like they had to go at them earlier in 2015, I think, tried to put sniffer dogs on the door. And they were going, it was basically a court order that uh, Fabric were going to have to put sniffer dogs on the door and increase the security. And like everybody kind of came out and was just like, like sniffer dogs have been shown to make clubs and events and festivals more dangerous because it's not going to stop people from taking drugs. They're just going to front load. And if you're going to go and bang all your drugs before you get in, then you're in a pretty dangerous position when you walk through the door. I mean, like, this is just another example of like just people, the authorities being unwilling to change their stance on. Uh, drug policy and actually make meaningful change in it. They're just like trying to just shut it down and it's not going to happen. You know? Well, it seems to be the case all over the world. I mean, they're talking about uh, doing away with festivals in Goa, India. Uh, if you look at LA and California, you know, that the rave task forces continues to sort of uh, follow through with draconian drug policy at the doors of festivals. Um, so you see what's going on in London. It really seems like there is something along the lines of a worldwide war on rave music. But, but hang on, but we, when we're talking about a war on rave music and, and the, these government agencies who were in whatever locale going after these venues or these festivals, but then we're also acknowledging that people are doing drugs. I mean, no, Jamal, you said that people do, uh, you did some unknown substances, and, and Ross, you're saying that if they're drug sniffer dogs, people are just going to do their drugs. What is, what is the solution if... If, you know, as... Harm reduction. The, first, the, the very a, first thing that has to be done is that there has to be an acceptance that this is going to happen either way. Like, you shut the clubs down, people are going to go somewhere else and take their jobs. But wait, hang on. It's a societal problem. But it's not a they? dance music problem. Hang, yeah, on. Of course. I know the, hang on. That's that's like... I hate that line. And I, that's like the line that, like, every, like, dance music group that wants to save clubs says, like, it's not a dance music problem. It's a culture problem. But fuck that, because no one's going to take a fistful of molly and hang out in their living room sure on a they Saturday. Are. Okay, no, no, no. Yeah. Let me tell you something. No, listen, look, right? If you're able to educate people well enough, they're not going to take a fistful of Molly anymore exactly. because they're going to know that that's going to fucking kill them. Exactly. Like, this is the thing. If you're going to continue to take a stance of prohibition across the board and be completely immovable on that, you're going to keep having drug deaths. This culture is not going to go away just if you shut the clubs down. Like, this is the thing. I saw a really, really great tweet at, um, after Fabric oh, closed. great tweet. A great tweet. I wish I had it up. I wish I was a bit more as prepared as you guys have been. But, was like, it John there was, a, there was a promoter, yeah, was saying yeah. that basically, like, Fabric is yeah, shut down and now there's promoters across the entire, like, shady promoters across the entire city oh. booking people for shady warehouse parties. Like, those those are those clandestine parties are considerably more unsafe. I right. Love well, it all goes, I love it all too. goes back <laughs> underground, much like the drug trade. You know, like people are taking adulterated, really unsafe drugs because obviously they're not legal, and they're getting most of their harm reduction information from their drug dealer because yeah. these yep. people aren't allowed to be in clubs or at festivals. And so, if people would just acknowledge that this stuff is going to happen and properly educate their fans, you could avoid. Deaths, maybe not all deaths, but I think significantly fewer people would die. Yeah, I don't think we can trust uh, the government to really take care of this. I think we, as a community, have to have to take the lead with harm reduction ourselves. But it's really hard because, like, we've known this for such a long time. Like, every, the dance music community has known about the problem that it has. And look, I'm acknowledging what you're saying. This is not just a societal problem. Like, I know that that's a line that people that are for harm reduction. And I think out. it's an excuse. Too. It is, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I can see that. But at the same time, like, we have been well aware that this problem has existed for a long time. For as long as like people have been taking ecstasy in the UK, they have known that dance music has a particularly like strong problem with this. 
But if we keep having our hands shackled and are unable to actually educate people and actually do meaningful change, then there's nothing we can do, man. Like, right. the culture's not going to go away. The drugs aren't going to go away. So we have to just acknowledge and find a way that we can work together. I think that is that is kind of the goal, though, for any kind of government agency is to make the drugs go away. And so it, it is, a I think, a difficult position for any reasonable body to take, which is that, hey, the drugs aren't going to go away right. when that is actually the the thing that most government agencies are trying to make happen. I think what needs to happen is that there needs to be things like addiction and death need to be things that are that they can realistically try and take away and not think about drugs themselves. It's think about the harm that they do to users. Like in Portugal you decriminalize drugs and basically and provide um, like adequate uh, like facilities for people to basically come off drugs safely. But Portugal is a small, a small country. I, yeah, mean, Nether- I mean, I'm not, you know, Netherlands is doing something similar. Also a small country. Yeah, they're small countries, yeah. but I mean, it doesn't mean to say that what they're doing there can't, in some part, you can't doesn't sure. mean we can't take elements of it sure. and introduce well, them into the U.S. I or think the it's UK. just important to acknowledge that what we're doing here isn't working. Yeah. You know, so we may be, we can't adopt Portugal's system, but we can adopt elements of it and massage our system to do something even a little bit different because we're not being effective at solving this problem, you know? Like, prohibition is not an effective way to treat this. There's a really amazing book. I highly recommend everyone read it. It's called Chasing the Scream, and it's about the war on drugs and addiction at large, and it doesn't... That's a terrifying title. (laughs) Chasing the Scream? But you remember it, right? Okay. Yeah. So, it's a guy, his name is Johan Hari, and he actually gives also a really good TED Talk in which he kind of jumps to the main bullet points in this book. But if you want to sort of redefine your idea of the war on drugs, why it exists, the nature of addiction, and possible solutions, I highly recommend you read it. It's a great, quick, well-written book. It's not just, not just the government. It's also the media. You want to hear a scary phrase, the summer of death. When you have oh my God. Uh, Dennis Romero at the LA Weekly and Ron Gong Lin at the LA Times leading a witch hunt against uh, uh, festivals. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to defend both of those guys. Well, not so much Dennis. I have no interest in defending I mean, they're Dennis, polemics. You read their articles and yeah, it's, they it's, are it's, so heavily yeah, but scaremongering, man. Like, it's, you, you know, everyone, the LA Times, I think, has been really on top of what's been going on in LA County with what with regards to drug-related deaths at festivals. And every time I read their reporting, I have a really hard time finding what is inaccurate the in it. The summer yet, of death? Are you kidding? every time there's an article published, the entire dance music community wants to come out and just attack it. And it's like, hey, you know, if you if you can do a better job covering the story, go for it. But no one has. And there, no one has also made the case as to why public space, and that's really been the issue in, in Los Angeles and, and, you know, Laws are different in different municipalities for for it to apply. But why should a public space, space that is effectively entrusted to the people, be allowed to be a space where people are doing these drugs, whether or not they're going away? That's totally fair. Mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I don't necessarily think the, these festivals have a right to take place in the in the public in public lands like national parks and stuff like that. Well, here's another thing, and it kind of I guess it's segue into what I suppose the next topic of conversation is. But like. Um, I think it's an issue that um, so many of these festivals are happening during uh, months where the temperatures are getting up over 100 degrees. And these, these things are going on. Like, I Wait, mean, so is this a climate change issue? <laughs> this is a climate change issue for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm here for Jill Stein. Yeah. I switched from Bernie's, Al. I'm here for Jill Stein. Is that a DJ? Yeah, coming for it. <laughs> still DJ Jane. Jill Stein. She <laughs> DJ Still Jane. <laughs> no, 
but this is a serious point though. Like, yeah. I can't really like when your festivals are getting like up over hundred degrees. I mean, like you go on a dance floor at EDC Las Vegas. I mean, like it's like hundred and twenty-five degrees in there. You know, what I mean that's. Why and but let's Dangerous. also back up. Why is there a dance floor at EDC Las Vegas in June? Right, that's what I'm. That's no, what but I'm no, hang on. Why is that? Because why someone is that, died. Someone died in the at the Los Angeles Electric Dancy Carnival, and so they had to move it to Nevada, where it is much hotter and less safe to have an outdoor rave where why people are. Doing I mean, drugs. why? I mean, I don't know. I like. I mean, I'm sure there's lots and lots of reasons why this can't be. But like, why can't these festivals well, in on, these so places be happening at different times of the year? Uh, nobody, nobody dies lightning in a bottle. Nobody die, People don't die at Burning Man. People yeah. don't die at symbiosis. Why? why is it only those, well, people take just as many drugs. Why? Because you guys go to these hippie festivals. Call them what they are. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Come on, man. <laughs> Call yeah. it what it is. It. People <laughs> being <laughs> naked. Camping in tents. Absolutely. Boofing patchouli. Disgusting <laughs> things happening. <laughs> Wait, why, why are these festivals safer places to do drugs? Well, uh, there, there's, there's one primary reason that I think the big promoters would tell you right away, and it's because they're much smaller. But beyond that, they uh, do. I don't think they're much smaller. I mean, a bottle is twenty five thousand people. Twenty five thousand people, yeah. Well, which is significant. Is what, it's significantly yeah. smaller than well, hard, ABC. Hard is where the deaths happen in LA. How big was hard this year? I'm not what twenty twenty five thousand. I don't think it's massive. I, actually, I might be wrong. I, I, I think it was a little larger. I think they were reduced to about thirty. Well, it's a different culture, man. Well, it's totally there you different. Go. It's a totally and what, different it, what are those cultural differences? Well, the cultural community. differences, I think, is community is a large part of it for sure. Dance Safe have a presence there. The Zendo Project have a presence at all of these festivals, basically in there. I mean, whether people use them or not, the very aspect, the and very fact that they're there. Dance Safe and Zendo Project, they're both harm oh, reduction sure, yeah. organizations. Correct. Which I think it's so, and for anyone who doesn't know or follow the story regularly. Katie, you actually know all about why harm reduction information isn't available at festivals. I do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there is a, a law, an old law on the books actually signed into a law by Joe Biden, who was then a senator, who uh, this law made it illegal for promoters to provide harm reduction materials to their attendees. And the reason for that is... Because it, it encourages, or that it's, it can be well, perceived it, to encourage. It's perceived, it's perceived to encourage. Yeah. yeah. And harm reduction is really, I mean, from my exposure to it, it's, it is kind of crazy because it gives you details on drugs that you've never <laughs> otherwise had in your hands. But it tells you, like, what color your the pills should be and, like, what kinds of things are okay and what kind of things are not okay. And it's, I mean, if you... If you went to school in the United States, you had a modicum of drug education. This goes beyond that, and it does seem to be more instructive how to do drugs. <laughs> you can look at it that way, or it's how to not die yeah, from taking drugs. And I think that's I think that that's the way you should be looking at it. You know what I mean? Not looking at like, hey, this is a guidebook on how you should take drugs, kids. It's just like, no, this if you choose to take drugs, this is how you should take well, them, I mean, so it's, that it's you don't become a statistic. You, you know? Yeah, but if, if it's given, practical information yeah, if yeah. you choose to take drugs versus being cloaked in drink water, right? You know, which is not or just say no. Just say no is not going to work, man. Right? You know what I mean? Sex education and abstinence should tell you just that much, you know what I mean? People are going to do it anyway. You should educate people, you exactly. know? Exactly. People are not going to abstain. Like The way it is now is exactly that. It's like it's like abstinence-only education, which we know doesn't work. So a producer just handed me a fact. 147,000 people attended the two-day hard festival. <laughs> have festival. died this summer. So I'm very wrong. Sorry, very so wrong. lightning so in a bottle is considerably smaller. Considerably it's still massive. It's still a big festival. It's, 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 it's gotten much bigger. It's gotten oh, much bigger. Okay, so... Uh, 
Well, 120, right? That's 40,000 people a day. 147,000. Okay, okay. So it's more. But the lightning ball is... No, but listen, <laughs> hold on, hold on. The numbers. If you, if yeah, that's, they, they break down their, their attendances per day. If, if you're going to use the same math, then lightning, lightning ball had 90,000 people because it's... That's hard. right. As yeah. people coming through the gates every that's day right. are hard, yeah. whereas a campaign of lightning ball. Sure. I mean, I think, you know... I think what Ross was saying about the cultural differences really are significant. Well, what are those cultural differences as you see them? As I see them, I see a considerably more um, relaxed environment. The music is definitely not as, like, hardcore. Mm -hmm. Okay, one thing I've always taken umbrage with with the EDM DJs, which I think is pretty shameful, is, like, if you go to Las Vegas, you go to a pool party or something like that, or you go and see in that festival, grab on the mic and she's like, who's getting fucked up tonight? Like, that kind of mentality that is, is, is vast across the whole EDM scene is yeah. not there. I mean, it's in the songs. I mean, it's not just yeah, it's not exactly just on the mic. right. Like, and yeah. like even just down to things like that. Like there's there's so many different. There's the 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 environment is completely different, and it's not the kind of environment where people are trying to get completely blasted. Well, also at these EDM festivals, the median age is significantly lower. And when it's kids, right. you know, and when people die, it's usually very young kids experimenting with drugs for the first time. They don't really know what they're doing. Uh, I think you know, mentioning community again in, at a at a hippie festival, everybody walks in with, with the notion that they have an obligation to look out for the person next to them, which really doesn't happen yeah. at a big EDM festival. You know, you're elbowing the person next to you trying to get, you know, a, a space forward for Calvin Harris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Marshmallow. Yeah. Don't, we don't need to drag Calvin Harris here. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take Marshmallow back. Whereas <laughs> <laughs> everybody at the Transformational Festival is all just kind of wandering to Nico Jar together, frolicking, yeah. you know, That's right. holding getting, ready, getting ready for right. no drops. Yeah, holding hands and <laughs> Contemplating the political nature oh of the tracks God. they're about to hear. It's so, beautiful. So this is, and to bring it back to Fabric for a second, right. what's happening now with Fabric since, this, since the club has been forced to close is there's been a campaign that Fabric has led under the hashtag Save Our Culture, uh -huh. which mm. I think is a very uh, big kind of term, our culture, yeah. as, as big. I mean, it's also vague and, yeah, uh, maybe lofty, maybe a little self-important. Uh, um, this, is, this is the letter they posted when they announced the, I'll read part of it. When they announced the campaign, they said, we are Fabric. Uh. This is not how it ends. Which I, I mean, that's some insight maybe. They said, the police have revoked our license to present music, art, and culture, something we have been doing with great pride for nearly two decades. They abused archaic licensing laws in order to close us down, and they will continue to do so if we do not come together and take action now. This is about more than fabric. An entire way of life is under threat. Rinsing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Rinsing okay. the four four. No, okay. I agree with that. Look, I mean this is the look the one thing that um I think has been very good about the situation, the, the one silver lining with this whole fabric situation is that pe the clubbers are uniting behind the idea that we need to we need to protect what we have in our culture. Like in Amsterdam they have this guy called Merrick who is the has the title of the nightmare. Right. And this guy Which is, is like, and they have one in London now too. They have right? one in London, yeah. yeah. And there's another guy um, called Lutz who does it with. Uh, he has a club commission in Berlin, which is a it's, which is a very very well organized uh, commission of 150 like art venues. So that could be like high like electronic music. It could be like theater spaces, whatever. But basically, what they do is these people, these nightmares, they <laughs> essentially operate as a go between between the clubs and the like municipal governing bodies. And they try and like look out and sort of introduce things from both sides of the fence. And like this is what needs to start happening is like everybody needs to start rallying behind the idea that we all have to protect this thing. 
And I think that's what's, what's being said in that. But and is, I think it's a valuable point. You is know? protecting the physical space of the club protecting the culture? I've never, I've never uh, well, the place found fabric, that myself. Sure. I mean, that place is an institution. It, it, it's a huge moral defeat. Yeah. For the culture, if that place is taken away, Absolutely. the mix series are, can still live on. Those mix series are great. The fabric, sure. right? But you would not have space. the Jamal Kawaja transcendent experience <laughs> yeah, changing your life. I could be listening to Mumford and Sons without the physical God. space. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, look, I get why I everyone in, at this table feels very strongly about defending places like Fabric. It's something that we are really connected to. We've all been to clubs and had great experiences at them. We wouldn't want to see someone misunderstanding and them and misusing laws to go after them. But I'm wondering how the argument gets won and not just with the hashtag, but like, you know, what's... Yeah. I don't think we win this one. Well, is, it, is it money? Because it sounds yeah. like what you're saying is that it's, it's, it's more nefarious than just like, oh, police and officials don't like people doing drugs and dying. It's that gentrification is happening and we need the space right. to build up the yeah, things. For sure. Yeah. Absolutely. So, I mean, gentrification is the enemy to a lot of things, not just club culture. Yeah, definitely. It's been, um, it's like, again, that's why, like, the club commission in Berlin exists, you know what I mean? It's to protect against things like that, you know? It's like they have things in place where, like, you have to, like, have, like, ad like adequate noise protection because so many places are coming and building around the areas that the clubs are. I mean, clubs are the authors of their own demise in this situation. They move into areas where they can make as much noise as they can and they can have people stumbling around at night. But then what do they do is they make that place, they make that area cool. Oh, sure. And then all of a sudden people want to move in there. And then right. those people move in there and then the fucking yuppies move in. Yeah. And suddenly the yuppies don't want loud noises at do night. Do we have yuppies it. in 2016? Is that oh, it still, it still oh, exists. Yeah. Yes. Sure. No. I didn't know if I thought that was like an, an old time. It's thing. a different oh, breed no. of yuppie. Now we just call them time assholes people, with jobs. Yeah. <laughs> Soho exactly. house members. Four Sorry. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't He's mean not it. Getting into house <laughs> Never now. again. I love it there. It's fine. It's the uh, wise promoter who's been a veteran promoter in New York and San Francisco and, and in LA once told me that anytime a club closes, it is always because of real estate. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah I and so. uh, I think this might be one of those situations as well. I mean, well, we just get used to the the process of sort of f things falling apart and regenerating in a different way. Nothing lasts forever, and dance music has always been about moving forward and trying to do things in the future. So, even though it sucks, it, nothing lasts forever, and we should be happy that we had it and try to look look forward and wait. Let's go back to the O ring, yeah. <laughs> outside of you know, yeah, the orbital. Yeah, around the M twenty five. Yeah, go party in the woods. Wow, <laughs> parties in the woods. Go Spe transform yourself. Speaking yeah. of the Being future, uh, you guys might not be aware, but this is a time of year when the record industry is thinking about the future, specifically to this winter when the biggest award in music happens, the Grammys. People don't always think of September 30th as an important date, but it is the cutoff for eligibility for a record to be nominated for the Grammys. So I headed over to the Recording Academy recently and talked to the VP of Awards, Bill Freemuth. He filled me in on why they have that weird calendar and everything else we've always wanted to know about how those awards work. <laughs> So the reason why I wanted to talk to you this time of year is because September 30th is an important date in the Grammy calendar. Most people don't know about it. It's the cutoff for eligibility. Why is eligibility this weird year of October <laughs> to September? It, it doesn't make sense. Well, to us it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, it's, we, we, for the awards process, we really kind of live and die by the calendar. And that kind of end date is 
an indication of how much time it needs, we need, to, to put the ballot together, go through two rounds of voting, and have uh, the nominations in time for the telecast producers to begin booking talent based on the nominations and the winners in time to have envelopes at the show. Um, so it's just, it's, that's, that's basically what we need October, November, December, January. We need that four month period to have all of those things happen. And uh, so we have to cut it off in September. Rather than have the awards like in May or something. Yeah, well, whenever, you know, whenever we would have the telecast, yeah. we need to have a cutoff period of four months before. Got it. And we've been in, in the late January, early February for, uh, I think, time immemorial as right. far as the Grammys go. So. And just for, for people who really might be mystified by this, the Oscars don't need that kind of cutoff time. What makes music in the recording industry different from the film industry like that? Probably mostly volume. Yeah. I mean, there are... The last time we looked, there were 600, 650 movies uh, that were eligible for Oscar contention. Uh, we got over 21,000 <laughs> entries this year. <laughs> and so the processing of all those entries is uh, extremely time-consuming. Yeah. Do you listen to... Do you feel like you listen to most of them on any given year? Me personally? Yeah. No, I couldn't possibly. <laughs> um, but my team, yes. Yeah. The awards department. We have, you know, we have 17 people full-time, and uh, during this time of year, we have an additional five, I think, or six temps okay. uh, who join us just to, to get through everything. And somebody listens to each entry. I mean, each entry gets listened to by somebody. Even if it never gets nominated, it's been right. listened to. It's been listened to. That's got to make people feel good. Yeah, and, you know, often more than once. I would say in most cases more than one time. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Best New Artist is an award that everybody always has some idea about. Megan Trainor's the current, uh, I guess, title holder. In the past, <laughs> uh, there have been a variety of artists from across genres. Skrillex was a big breakthrough nomination for dance music when that happened a few years ago but how do artists become eligible for that category what is, and what does it really what is it really recognizing when they win well i do want to clarify first of all that megan trainer will not be passing a physical crown <laughs> to the next person what that sounds uh, like it should happen though right <laughs> but uh you know I, honestly it is uh it is our single most complicated category as far as the rules go we have Basically, you know, most most of our categories have about a half a page to a page of rules. This has two full pages, single spaced, of all the this is eligible, this is not eligible. But essentially, what we want is to catch artists at a time where they have broken through into the public consciousness uh, for the first time during the eligibility year. So, uh, you know, we say that people. You have to have at least one album or at least five singles out in the marketplace to be eligible for the first time. Okay. And you can have no more than three albums or 30 singles or tracks uh, on the back end. You know, and you can enter into the uh, category three times during your career. Oh, wow. So uh, people will submit themselves if they've had a really big year, even if they've been an artist active for several years before that. Right, but then 
we have this uh, these committees or, or screening or sorting committees that um, there's a long discussion about everybody entered for best new artist and they will uh, often remove somebody even if they are technically eligible based on their releases they will remove them if they broke through into the public consciousness in a big way a year or two or five before. How do you define breaking through in the public, con public consciousness, especially now? Because, I mean, 10 years ago, it's like, all right, if you're on the radio, if you're played on MTV, there were some, some basic metrics that you could evaluate that. But now there are so many different ways that people are hearing music. Is there, is there a standard that you guys use for figuring that out? It's tough. It's, it's highly subjective. Um, I mean, we do use certain things like, uh, you know, somebody was nominated for Best New Artist at another award show three years ago. You know, that would make us look weird to yeah. nominate somebody <laughs> now for that. Or if, uh, it, even though we don't technically consider uh, chart positions and things like that, if somebody had a number one hit single two years ago, we figure that that is an indication that they've broken through to the public consciousness. Yeah. Uh, certainly if you've been nominated for a Grammy Award before. That's generally an automatic <laughs> disqualification. You're not new. Yeah, not very new. <laughs> okay, one thing that I feel like trips people up every year as well, especially now these days, is the genre classifications. Because so much music, especially if you listen to the radio, it's hip-hop, pop, EDM, all blending into one thing or nothing at all. How do you guys determine which track or which artist goes into which category? Uh, we, we have 24 different committees, sorting committees, that are populated by genre experts. And so we have you know, a reggae committee, a dance electronic music committee. Uh, we have a, an alternative music committee. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, for 24 of them. And they are, are actually uh, charged with going through the lists of everything entered in those categories. Anything with which they're not familiar, which no matter what, how much of an expert you are, mm -hmm. there's going to be lots of stuff in that list you haven't heard. 21,000 yeah, submissions. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, there better be. Um, and so they listen to the ones that they haven't heard. And the ones that are really borderline, they'll have some very serious discussions sometimes they'll actually go track by track and say, this track is pop, this track is R&B, there's another R&B track, there's another pop track, and you know, we, we go by the album should be at least 50% of one genre. I know in the past this has happened. I have uh, an anonymous source, let's just uh -oh. say, <laughs> that uh, a song, I won't say what it was, was kicked out of the dance category over to pop. Mm -hmm. but pop didn't pick it up. What happens to those artists, to those tracks that kind of end up in purgatory? And I ask because I, I could see it happening this year even, uh, in, for example, perhaps with Calvin Harris and Rihanna's record, This Is What You Came For. It's a dance record in its roots, but it's a pop record in the way it was released and consumed. What, what does the Academy feel about those, those situations where you have something that's kind of not dance enough for the dance people, but not pop enough for the pop people, or, or those other kind of similar circumstances? Well, one thing I would say is that the, the dance screening or sorting committee is uh, um, made up of people who really live in that world. And 
Uh, as a result, they tend to be a little more restrictive, maybe, than certainly than pop. Pop is probably our largest umbrella mm -hmm. and the most welcoming uh, because it's kind of the least well-defined, even in the public consciousness, I would say. Uh, so um, what would happen in a case like that, let's say there is a track that was entered in dance, dance said no, they sent it to pop, and pop said no also. Well, uh, the largest of these committees is called the core room, mm. and they are primarily dealing with uh, rock and pop and best new artist, uh, but they also spend a half a day meeting in joint session with the R&B committee to deal with conflicts among, or you know, borderline cases with R&B and pop. Right. Um, but then they are also the final arbiters when two committees disagree. And so well, that happens quite a bit, actually. You know, last year we had a big one where both country and Americana really wanted this one album. And, so, and, and they could not reach any kind of resolution, so they brought it into the courtroom. The chairs of each of those committees uh, sat down and made their arguments, and then we listened through almost the entire album. Uh, and the committee ended up voting for it to go to Americana. Which, can you tell me which album that was? That was, that was Don Henley. Oh, okay. This is a year ago. This oh, wow. Last year. Yeah. So, um, which I, you know, we gathered ultimately was where the artist was sort of most happy with it being anyway, so yeah. all's well that ends well there. Um, with, with pop and dance, uh, even though the pop room is the final arbiter, they give a lot of credence and respect to the genre experts in the dance room. And so, you know, 99 times out of 100, if the dance committee says this is dance, they're good with that. If they say it's pop, they're going to be good with that too. There, there have only uh, this year there were no ex arguments about that. There were no real extreme cases. In the last couple of years, there's usually less than a handful a year where um, there's enough of a disagreement that it turns into a, a substantive discussion where we're really listening through. I've, I've heard about those disagreements. That's what, <laughs> that's what I know. That kind of peer selection process, I imagine, is also what has made the Grammys just an inherently diverse selection of artists. And, you know, earlier this year, there was a lot of attention paid to what the uh, Motion Picture Academy does and the Oscars being so white. That's never really been a problem for the Grammys. Is that something you guys are still kind of aware of and just maintaining that like cultural diversity, or is it just automatically happen because of the nature of, of the, re the recording industry itself? Probably some of both. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think that uh, the music industry on the whole is uh, not as white as, as the movie industry on mm -hmm. the whole, and, and almost has always been that way. I mean, you know, I, I, I was just talking with somebody um, not too long ago about how you know, they, they made a movie about... Jackie Robinson joining Major League Baseball. And, yeah. And granted, that was that was a huge deal. But it was 30 years after music was integrated. You know? Right. The, you know, the early jazz music, the, the Duke Ellington Orchestra, you know? Yeah. <laughs> the, it, which is not to say that they didn't have difficulties in the marketplace and in, in society. Because right, of, there were radio stations of who they were. Yeah. But... But the music community, the community of artists, and uh, the record labels, and you know, to some extent, the radio people—it was all about 
getting good music out to people, not getting music by a certain looking group of people out there. Um, you know, a, a, as far as our awards go, um, we we try to be colorblind, but I think that that's you know that's uh, a, a dream in our society today. Unfortunately, right. I don't I don't think it's really possible. Awards notwithstanding, what has been your favorite album of this year? The thing that you're just listening to? You know, I can't do that. Come on! <laughs> I can't do You know, you might be able to ask me that after our second ballot has okay. been returned. Okay. Uh, but until then, the very last thing I want to do is to influence any of our voters who might be listening to this. Do you listen... Do you, okay, then I'll just ask generally. Do, do you listen to only new music during the during the eligibility year, or do you go back and have your old favorites? Because there's so much, obviously, that you need to listen to. Yeah, that's actually a really good question. Um, I would say during this time of year, I listen to less older music. Yeah. Uh, because I have so much newer music to listen, that I have to listen to, but also that I want to listen right. to. It's like, oh, here's a new album by X person, and I really liked their last album, so totally. I'm looking forward to hearing this. Yeah. Um, it, my tastes are, are really eclectic. Um, I really listen to lots of different kinds of music. People often ask me, well, what's your favorite genre? And, it, you know, I don't really have one. I, yeah. I, I like good music, you know, and, and if it's good chamber music for classical, that's great. If it's good R&B, that's great, you know, and everything in between, you know, so... Okay, well, I'll come back and ask you okay. about, about that last question. <laughs> Bill Freeman, thank you so much. My pleasure, absolutely. Thanks a lot, Zoe. All right, so Grammy year starts for this coming award season starts October 1st, 2015 and runs through September 30th, 2016. What do you guys think will be nominated this year? Oh, man. The chain smokers. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Last year was really good, wasn't it? We did have uh, Jamie XX was last year. Yeah. yeah. What else was, was good? Well, uh, Jack U cleaned up. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Uh, I'm fine with that. I quite like that Bieber song. I'm an underground head, man, but I really like it. You kind of have Justin Bieber hair. I know, yeah, That's a compliment. It's like the nice swoosh. Thanks, Like the classic He has the hairless body of Justin Bieber as well. I do as well, yeah. Shiny like a fridge door. So I've heard. Strange. Any other predictions? I mean, the consensus from who I've talked to is that this is going to be the year of Adele and Beyonce. Yeah. Well... I haven't cared about the Grammys. I don't have any opinions on decades. it. Tell, okay, the, I think the, part of the reason why is because they only hand out like eight awards during the actual show. I feel like they de-emphasize their own importance by doing that. My concern has always been that it's just this sort of uh, relic of the mainstream that I just don't, it's just not, I don't know. It's oh, because you're so underground. That's no, right. I just, I don't, I, I don't even care about labeling about what my tastes are. That's just not what I care about. I don't know. I think it's funny to look at it as a spectacle or something to make fun of, but like, I don't, I really don't care. The spectacle element of it's interesting. Like, I mean, I found like kind of, I, I don't know, like everybody trying to sort of one up each other with better performances. Like Coachella's turned into that as well. You know, it's just like every year people are trying to like outdo one another with bigger performances. I'm just like, just write better songs. Just, <laughs> just write better songs, man. I'm but happy with that. Has it gotten to a point though where like you can't go to Coachella or watch the Grammys without 
if you, if you don't see some like mind blowing collaboration, are you going to be disappointed? Absolutely, I feel like some people yeah. are for yeah. sure. Yeah, absolutely. Like if Beyonce shows up at the VMAs and doesn't perform for like half an hour, people are going to be like, "Well, she filmed that in." Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like you know, it's like it's like Drake's there one weekend, and then like Kanye's there the next weekend, and like what are you going to do next year? Is like Tupac hologram and like. Where you get like that's how do we Ross, where, where that two hologram end? was like five years ago or something like that? I don't know. Frankie <laughs> Knuckles hologram. Do you know what I mean? Let's oh, bring back. So, yeah. too, what, too soon? That'd be nice. No, that'd be great. It would be good, wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah, I think we should start a campaign to do it to fundraise for a Frankie Knuckles hologram at the Yuma tent. All right, we'll get a GoFundMe <laughs> on the website. Yeah, <laughs> cool. All right, so we'll we'll be tuning in, and we have we have some time. We'll keep everyone updated on who gets nominated, but it's a. It's quite a process. And look, I mean, I know that, that sometimes the awards themselves feel like they're from yesteryear, but they do a lot of good for young people who are learning about music. That's the main imperative of the Academy. Young people, you mean viewers or people that are tuning into the Grammys? No, I mean like music students. That's uh, actually, like right, what they okay. do that has nothing to do with the awards mm -hmm. is, their, is their big project during the year. And mm -hmm. it's about bringing together musicians and artists who we've never heard of who are usually like below the line talent sure. who go to schools who are you know working with youth youth orchestras and youth music programs and uh, bringing in people to the arts and making sure that there's arts funding in places where it doesn't get where it still exists you know definitely they're they're a benevolent organization yeah even if Jamile <laughs> is too busy on did you say benevolent or irrelevant yeah. ben oh. benevolent that's why I love you <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's take a look at what's coming up in music. Katie, you have some things you're excited about. I, I do. Well, did I, first of all, did everyone see the video? Not just listen to the song, but the video for the Weekend and Daft Punk track. No. no. Oh, you guys didn't watch it? No. Oh, you didn't like You watched it, but you didn't like it. No, no I, heard, I, 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 was, it. I was very disappointed oh, with the song. Yeah, you didn't like yeah. the song He's doing another one as well. It's even worse. Like I don't know how you like. He should go back to Max Martin as soon as as soon as he can. That's true. Well, you had some interesting thoughts on the song itself. Yeah, I thought it was shit. Yeah, you, know, you, <laughs> <laughs> you wrote an article about it. Wait, I want to quote your article. Yes, do that, please. Really They're great. Amazing. Jamal, Jamal hated it, it, something man. so much. Poison. <laughs> this is like if Jesus and Moses went off on a hill together to write a new book of worship and came back with a BuzzFeed article about the Pope's 11 best haircuts. Yeah, this is like if Steve Jobs and Elon Musk went off on a hill to create a spaceship and came back with a Pez dispenser. Yeah, it's great. I think it's really funny the way that you can remember your own language. It's so self-congratulatory, you fucker. You can't remember, you can't just remember all you know. You can't remember any of that shit, but you can remember all your funny quips in your throwaway articles. It's hysterical. I respect that and yeah. you know DJs remember all their good drops. Jamal <laughs> <laughs> remembers all his good literary drops. That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. That's verbal right. drops. That's right. But I do agree with you that the song is uh, forgettable. You oh, guys, well, the video is beautiful. Is it? What do you mean? Tell us more about your thoughts here. Well, I I mean it, he's like driving around in some expensive car on Mulholland Drive, <laughs> and oh, there's like so great. there's this neon red cross that pops up, and it probably means nothing, but you think that it means something. And he lives in this house that looks like he got the idea for him when he did the soundtrack to Fifty Shades of Grey, and. He bashes his own head because he's like, you know, getting rid of his old hairstyle. It's lots of bad symbolism, but it's really pretty. I think the thing that bothered me the most was when he was driving in that really, you know, reasonably nice car. <laughs> 
very nice car. But there was a panther in the passenger seat. Oh, yeah. I, I had mixed feelings about the panther. I mean, I don't know. If you could drive around on Mulholland with a panther in your car, would you say no to that opportunity? So. <laughs> uh, no. But the panther didn't look real. And I, I just, it was reaching. Yeah. I, I thought it was a little cheesy. Death Punk are boring now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, now. I mean, I, I frankly don't think that last album was particularly exciting at all. I was. I'm so I- I'm impressed by the, the, the you know hegemonic mind control of the Daft Punk hype. It's like everyone has been afraid to say the fact that it's just I'm not particularly excited by any of the music they've put out. I'll, t- I'll tell you what. How though. you feel about Daft Punk is how I feel about Fabric. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Great guys, nicely oh, done. Nicely <laughs> done. Like that, getting those old thump ways back in gear, just <laughs> shitting on things people like. No. no, I'll tell you what though. I think that um, I think that that Daft Punk record was probably the start of reigniting the fascination and appreciation of disco music mm. in a bit more of a widespread sense. Like they brought like they brought Chic back in, they brought Marauder back in, and like I think like the the disco sort of revival that you're seeing going on right now, I think can be traced back largely to that record. And while I didn't really like it all that much, I think what it's eventually led to is is good. It's not, it's like country club disco though. Is yeah, but whatever. Souls. I mean, yeah, it's it's like I, I we mean, are robots and we have no souls. Yeah, I'm kind of done with the robot voices. Like I know it's their hallmark, yeah, man. But it's coder. fucking come on, is, come on. There, it's it's a strange kind of phenomenon that Nile Rodgers has become <laughs> like kind of a mainstay now in in the public consciousness because of that. Album, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, Chic were fucking massive back in the day, though. Yeah, but they like, were phenomenal. But too. no one had really thought about them in a little while. Yeah. yeah, but you're right, Ross. They are responsible for the resurgence of Marauder. Yes, that too. Yeah, so, for sure. You know, yeah. sometimes if things like that else. can happen. You know, Trainspotting revived Iggy Pop's career. Oh yes. Yeah. And, okay, and uh, I, this is a tangent, but Iggy Pop's new album is, I'm told, a return to form. But Who you, told you that? I'm gonna bet, and I'm gonna bet that once again, none of us have listened to it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like none of us have listened to it. I love how the very first episode of the show is us talking about shit we've never listened to. <laughs> sound really you should incredible. have a little listening list for everybody before but look, each I, show. I, I seriously be a good idea. for random things we think about. I, I highly recommend watching the da- the Daft Punk Weekend video because I think I to. You're the expense of it is uh, is is worth noting. They did not spare a penny. They did not. And he does walk past an oil painting of Daft Punk in, in when he walks into the house that you mentioned. It's deep. So there it's was deep. a nice nod. Yeah. And, you know, I, I want to give a bit of a shout out to the director. His name is Grant Singer. He's a pretty young gun. And I think it's cool that, you know, someone who, who hasn't been, like, you know, doing a million videos for 30 years was given a shot at this one. It's a big deal. It is a big deal. Yeah, it's, a big deal. it's no formation, but it's a big deal. It's no formation. <laughs> where's, that, where's Wayne Isham or Marcus Siego when you need him? Oh, someone was watching MTV in the late 90s. <laughs> that's absolutely true. Um, the other album I think that's probably the biggest one of the season for dance music is Claude Von Stroke's album, the Barkley Crenshaw album. Mm. Anytime you're busting out your real name. Yep. Yeah. And it's such a great business. real name. Barkley Crenshaw. It's a lovely Crenshaw. real name. Yeah, it's yeah, like, for just sure. use that. Claude Von oh Stroke's God. also great. It's though. great. It's They're both really great. seedy. I love it. <laughs> I, I really hope that he uh, 
Recently, it seems like he's been moving towards like gimmicky songs. I really hope he moves back to some groove. Well, that's. I mean, I said this last year, like when he released Bar Rump. I was like, if you could, <laughs> like, if you could imagine a person that that song sounded like, it would be Claude Von Stroke. It's got this kind of like sort of dumpy, bar humorous rump. bar rump. <laughs> I could just sort of imagine him plodding along and like, like, and he's been making music like that for a are while. You commenting you know I mean? on but, on Barclay's physical presence. Oh, he's he's a huge bear man. He's you know jolly jovial. Yeah, he should, he should, he's not. He should be more of an icon in as a bear in the gay community. But, but I don't not. think, no, people don't really know him like that. I mean, if they know his music, they don't know his, like, his appearance well enough to embrace him. Maybe but the bear's Barkley like Crenshaw. Though. Maybe it's, it's going to do it. Yeah. I mean, that's like Lady Gaga's album is called Joanne. That's her name, or it's her middle name. Like when anytime you're like, you're busting out what's on your ID, <laughs> is he going to sing on it? <laughs> that's the that's the that's the one tweet I I laugh at reading the most is when some DJ says I just sang on one of my own songs last night I'm so stoked and I'm like cool that goes your career when does it ever go well <laughs> never Calvin Calvin Harris Calvin Harris he was a singer Calvin was a singer before he was that's a true, DJ that's true, that's true. Was I want more examples of this. Well, Cascade got a Grammy album. Screw like scr- screamed over a bunch of stuff in the early days. That's right. Um, the chain smokers. <laughs> Thank chain you. Smokers. Crystal Rodriguez knows. Just, oh, I just got a shudder. I'm, I'm, I'm hearing that name. I would love to discuss the fact that the chain smokers have become the, oh. the most hated act in dance music. Now. Let's, let's put a pin in that. We let's not go down the hating chain smokers uh, rabbit hole. We we can st- keep big upping Claude <laughs> One Stroke. But. Our department, they one of those guys sings on their records, and that's. And that led them to break up. It did. Yeah, it did. That's right. Yeah, that's, oh, no. that's what I hear down the great well, did ha- But have you heard the Barkley Crenshaw LP? I have not. Someone, I, uh, a source was in studio with it uh, last week and said it's a game changer. Well, because, And this is someone, because, this is because someone who has no interest in promoting it, just was like, this, was, this is the album. Was, well, I, I'm curious to know, because he released a number of singles, what, last fall? Yeah. That were under his real name, and they were with... Eprom, some bass DJ, and they were great. Like if you love, like really deep bassy low end, dirty music, it was all that. I would say, from what I was told, this goes in that direction, but it's not like what we've known from Claude Von Stroke. Well, the whole Dirty Bird scene—they all started off as jungle DJs back in the day. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, not J Flip, but Uh, mm, that's another story. Yeah, Um, Um, just Jubilee and. Castle both have albums coming out this season. They are doing a few gigs together. This, I think the Jess Jubilee record is going to take everyone by surprise. She is uh, someone who people on the East Coast have loved for a while, and this is her artist album debut. It's been in the works for a minute. Um, I, think, I think there's some big things on the horizon for her. What, what is her sound? She's from Miami, and she reps Miami pretty hard. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say she's evolving what we might think of as a Miami sound. Certainly evolved way past Miami base. She's one of those DJs that has been able to flip between a lot of scenes mm-hmm. uh, over the past few years and has been simmering in the underground for a while. Mm-hmm. So um, it'd be really happy to see her take a step up. She deserves it. Yeah. Um, and Castle, he's, a, I mean, a reliable guy for a great, for a great album, I think. 
I mean, you guys will agree once you hear it. I think, I think I agree. I like <laughs> the label. That's probably I true. Know, I just go and listen to my own music. Yeah, really. He's trying to read a book. Well, yeah, what, do you, so what, do you got, what are you guys Ross, listening you just, to? Wait, what are you did, listening to? Did Ross to? just low key promote his own music? Oh no, no. I mean, like, I just he go, sings. I just go and find, I just go and find what I, I just go and find what I want, and just don't really listen to what's new. I've really been. What are you, what are you excited about? Even if it's old. We've been been stoked on these guys, Mr. Saturday Night mm. in New York. They do this Mr. Sunday party, which yeah. is really, really cool. Well, they also do Mr. Saturday Night. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> but those day parties on the Sunday are like are super nice. Like, and it's all like resident DJ focused. Those guys are really cool. The record so, label's dope. I think also people in New York love an opportunity to be outside and drink alcohol. Yeah, for sure. Because they don't. Cause they they don't small, get that a lot. small windows of yeah. being able to do that. Let's do it. The Sundays between May and September, where <laughs> mm-hmm. it's not raining, are yeah. few and far between. So mm-hmm. they gotta grasp them and <laughs> never let go. And we caught one. It was wonderful. Uh, yeah, it was very nice. Yeah, I enjoyed it quite a lot. I'd love an audio diary of of your next trip to New York together. Oh, God. <laughs> we tried to do Snapchat. We literally came in so strong with an so amazing... We did, like, such dirty. an amazing, like... We drew on each other's faces, and we were like, everybody, this weekend, Ross and Jamal are going to be on Snapchat. Keep posted. Yeah. Wait, we literally you, did, like, you promoted two your snaps. Oh, yeah. Dude, oh, yeah, absolutely. I did. I was just like, no, we're going to learn Snapchat this weekend. We're going to try and be young and shit. And we just, like, failed so miserably. I'm 30. Uh, like, <laughs> I'm, the, I'm too self-conscious. Who's the best, who's the best follow on Snapchat? Not of, you, of like, artists. To, oh, as in the best follow to get? Or the, the, no, the honestly, best person to follow. The oh, best, like, Snapchat. Too old, Zell. Uh, Snapchat doesn't really You're too old, me. too. I, I know, leave it you know, alone. I know I'm old because I'm, I'm happy with Facebook. And that, that, <laughs> that tells me how, like, irrelevant yeah, I am. Exactly. Like, and even that, it's, like, not too much. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I'll be careful. Oh, I, ju- I just recently started taking Instagram seriously uh, as a place yeah. to uh, post my, my artsy shots of flowers and, and patterns on the wall. And all the succubi you've been purchasing. Not succubi, succulents, dude. Succulents. I've been getting it right all day and I completely forgot. He's getting pictures of female vampires all over his Instagram. All right, now it's time for a segment on the show that we are calling What Killed the Vibe. Katie and I are going to say a bunch of things at each other and we will tell you whether or not it killed the vibe. Katie, would you like to go first? I would like to go first, actually. All right. Okay. Lay it on me. Okay. Um, Okay. Killed the vibe or did not kill the vibe? Daft Punk in the weekend. Killed the vibe. Oh. The vice presidential debate. Oh, killed the vibe. Mm. You just killed the vibe right now by mentioning that. <laughs> it had to be said. The arrival of fall. Oh, that's that brought the vibe. <laughs> the closing of space Ibiza. Oh, uh, killed the vibe, I guess. Okay. Georgia Motors mix in honor of the closing of space Ibiza. Oh, that brought the vibe. Exactly, yeah, it did. Okay, the national rash of creepy clown spotting. Oh, that brought the vibe. I am fucking obsessed with those clowns. I hope they don't go away. I want this to be a thing that people are irrationally afraid of for months. Sorry, Crystal's shaking her head in, in fear. At age five. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Hiding in the, hiding in the it dark. It traumatized oh, Crystal God. at age five. It so traumatized yeah. a lot of people. That's a scary movie and book. Um, okay. Festival porta potties. Oh, kill the vibe. When was the last time you were in a festival porta potty? Oh, I. When the last time I was in a. Fe- when was the last time that I was in a festival porta potty? <laughs> You, there, just for context, in case four any, years ago, you're trying not to. Jamal's, say. Jamal's <laughs> asking me this because he's trying to make me sound posh. I guess, like I, no, you just fancy. Yeah, fancy. I, you would rather drive home and poop in the hotel bathroom oh than actually go to a God. festival porta potty. Zell yeah. doesn't poop, you guys. No, he doesn't poop. This is a conversation. Okay, let's get back on track. Okay, 
Boys Noise, <laughs> Boys Noise's collaboration with Edward Snowden. Oh, killed the vibe. Mm, okay. The Relentless Passage of Time. <laughs> <laughs> Did not kill the vibe. All right. Uh, the new Nicholas Jar album. I, I don't think it killed the vibe. I think it brought the vibe. All right. We'll wait to see what happens. I agree. It. That's all I got for you. Okay, let me let me lay some on you. Uh, the ongoing festival season. Mid, Mid-October and we're still going strong. Did not kill the vibe. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, drug deaths. Killed the vibe. The summer of death. Killed the vibe. Okay. Uh, Darth Vader and the Death Star. Did not kill the vibe. Really? Because they've got a strong vibe, regardless of what you say about them. Okay. And the fact that they both go down, it doesn't matter. This is a metaphor. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Claude Von Stroke, a.k.a. Barkley Crenshaw, and his album. Did not kill the vibe. Just Jubilee and her album. Did not kill the vibe. Fabric Closing. Killed the vibe. People acting like fabric is high culture. Oh. Is that a weighted? It's high, like did we're not, really high when we go did there. Did not culture. kill the vibe. Okay, okay. Uh, sneaking cocaine into a nightclub. Ooh. Killed. Killed the vibe? Yeah, it kills the vibe. You know what also kills the vibe when you see people doing it? I think that's disgusting. Katie Bean has never done cocaine. That's true. All right, Jamal's putting everyone on blast in this. Uh, our uh, good friends, Chris Rodriguez, Jamal Kawaja, Ross Gardner. Oh, did not kill the vibe. All right. They brought the vibe. Yeah. That's right. Uh, we have time for some final thoughts from Katie and myself. Katie, would you like to go first? I do. Mine aren't, mine aren't very formal, but I just want to say that it's been a tough summer politically and culturally. It's been a really long, hard election. I am so ready for this shit to be over and uh, you know, hopefully see the first female president. But regardless of who you're voting for, what you believe in, I just think it's important to remember that music is something that unites people. And if you're feeling down, which a lot of people I know have been after everything that's been happening in the United States and beyond, turn up your favorite fucking song, listen to it loud, you'll feel better, it's a good antidote, and it's free. I love it. At the top of the show, I don't know if you caught this, but Katie and I had a little fun at the expense of a former employer. And while we are totally hashtag not sorry about it, the truth is we also don't really care that much. And the reason for that is that in the music industry and in the media world and in life in general, the only constant is change. And as I have always said to anyone who has listened, I am honored to sit at whatever table I can with people who love what they do. And there are still, I think, a few universal truths that are worth repeating. If you want to follow your passion, whether that's music or digging ditches, the only way that you're going to win is if you handle yourself with integrity and surround yourself with good people. There are those who will be petty and try to bring you down, but you can't feed them because there is nothing in this universe that will be thrown at you that you can't handle. You just got to figure out how. Amen. Amen, yeah, Zoe. Very nice. Nice one. Thanks. That did not kill the vibe. No, it no, did it not. Brought it. That brought the brought vibe. vibes. We've got to give a shout out today to our executive producer, Alex Munoz, audio engineers, Andrew Conde and Anthony Russo, creative direction from Allison Snyder. Theme music was Sanctuary by Our Time featuring Elizaveta. It was the White Zoo remix. I'm feeling that track. Totally. And a big, big thank you to our guests, Crystal Rodriguez, Jamal Kawaja, and Ross Gardner. Ow! Legendary, Sorry. all three of them. Until next week. Don't, don't kill, kill the vibe. vibe. Friends.